Today we're joined by the director of the Office of Student Veteran Engagement, Charlie Foster, who shares the stories of our campus's own student veterans and the value that they add to our community. Hello everybody, this is Eric Garrison, Assistant Director of Health Promotion here at the university. And today I'm excited to have in our company Charlie Foster, he is the Director for Student Veteran Engagement. Charlie, welcome to Ways to Flourish today. Thanks, Eric. Thank you guys so much for having me. And one of the issues that I think with men's health is that a lot of men just have this forget about it attitude. You know, it could be a cut, a scrape, a pain, a bruise, something. They don't forget about it. We'll let this, we'll let this ride. How does that play out? Charlie, that you've seen with the male veterans here on campus? So the ones that we have on campus are, I think, much better at it than the military service members that I knew when I was in, which was a a good long time ago now. So it has improved overall. Help seeking is still low among military and veterans, but it's also low among men. We don't do as good enough job as we should of asking for help, especially in a place like William & Mary that does have outstanding resources. Like I'm sitting in the wellness center and it's an amazing place. We also have the student recs I love very much, which I used to work in with Lindsay. And so what I think tends to happen, and this is probably true for all William & Mary students, is that I'll do this later. So I'll go on a run later, but I wanna do this first. And with veterans, something that might be unique to student veterans is that the things that they have to do ahead that are higher priorities or sometimes because they have their own children, you know, sometimes that they're married or they own property or in some cases they're still in the military. When I say student veterans and a lot of what we do, we refer to veterans, but what we mean is military personnel and veterans. So our military students have responsibilities because they're in the reserves or because they're in a position where they're allowed to go back to school but they could be called up. And we have had that happen. You know, we actually had a guy get out and then get activated back because he's just so valuable to the United States. In some ways, that's amazing and I'm proud of him. And then in other ways, I know that's difficult, you know. So he's been able to create a tenuous arrangement where he works at night and is still able to go to school, but that's a lot. And that's probably not true of every other student or even another percent. You know, he might be uh, just in a small fraction of a percent where they're doing that on campus. For him, if he were to say, I'm going to go run next week, I'd be like, I hope you do, (laughs) you know, but I understand if you don't. You know, we had a student who was a reservist, and summer commitment was scrubbed because of COVID-19, so they're just not going to do it. And then in September, school starts back, and they say, okay, now we need you. And so, again, it's just juggling these priorities. And I want to give um, William & Mary professors credit for, for working with them so far. And that's been really, really good to see. Charlie, years ago, the Air Force, when they saw their suicide rates go up, they had this philosophy, this motto they were sending out, seeking sensible support is a sign of strength. And they were really stressing the word strength. What role do you think perceived weakness plays in either men or veteran men or veterans or just students in general? and seeking help or not seeking help? Well, that goes back to the team. As a member of a team, the team is only as strong as the weakest link, and so nobody wants to make the team less strong. That's really true. I mean, everybody wants to make that team better and better because there's so much at stake. In the case of folks who serve in the military, I mean, lives are at stake, and precision is vitally important, and the military does a really good job when people are allowed to do their job, and so everybody thinks about it that way. 
you know, everybody says, no, I want to be the force multiplier. I want to be the one that makes everybody else's good work even better work. And so that's very, very admirable to strive for. What we also have to do is normalize, and this is like you said, for men too, is it is okay to get services that are there for this purpose. So it is okay to go to counseling. Counseling benefits everyone. You know, mindfulness benefits everyone. We know that. It's just, how do I strike that perfect balance from trying to do the best that I can and also taking care of myself? And I think Kelly would say, I shouldn't have said strive for the perfect balance, right? Because that's going to be elusive. But I do think that's part of the, the answer to your question is we've got people with lofty ambitions and they're very capable and they've done so much. How do we get them to also incorporate these things that are really just for them? These are really selfless people. So asking them to do something that's just for them is tough. Can you illustrate the experience that our student vets have had and why that experience makes them such a valuable asset to our community? Well, okay, so that's a tall order, you know, because there are so many different types of people who serve in the military and everybody has a unique path then through the military. And that's one thing that I think is a big asset is having this team that is coming from all different geographic parts of the United States and sometimes outside the United States and then having these different skills and talents. Like we don't have any real pipeline, it seems, to women marry from one military operational specialty. So it isn't that they're all coming from the intelligence community or it isn't that they're all coming from infantry. We have a really cool mix. And I think, again, that's a big asset. We've got a lot of different ages. So we have some people who got out after four years We've got some people who got out after eight, and we've got some who've done an entire career. And that is, you know, 20, 25 years. Some of them are at the graduate level, and then some are at the undergraduate level. And this is something that they've dreamed of for years, and in their case, decades, of coming to a place like William and Mary. And so having that same perspective in the classrooms, to me, enhances any classroom. They have worked, they have been trained, one of the things that when we talk about prior experience coming into a college is they've not only been trained, but they've demonstrated that they've been trained because then they went on to do a job. So what I did when I was in the military is I was a journalist. So I went to basically like a journalism school and it was not a four year degree. It was every single day, <laughs> every single day for months and months and months doing things like what we're doing right now on the broadcast side or running around with digital cameras, interviewing people, learning about journalism, learning about the ethics. You know, I did all of that stuff full-time, more than 40 hours a week, and then I went and did that job. And so that's one of the things that student veterans bring is experience with a grind like that over the course of years and years. And I think not only does the work ethic come out, but there's a wisdom too about punching a clock, although it's a weird clock to punch, but haven't been in the real world, and of course the military is kind of its own real world, that's something that has been extremely valuable to me in getting to know student veterans is finding out about their day-to-day -day and what that meant. And some people's day-to-day -day was amazing. Sometimes it was a corner of the world I've never heard of, and just hearing their description of the streets there has been really good, but there are people on those streets and there are places that they've been that they can tell me about. And I think that would be a benefit to anybody in the women in America community is getting to know these folks 
who have been all around or have done something particularly interesting and just having a, a minute or two to learn about a new part of the world. You just mentioned women marry or students, you know, getting to know our veterans. And I think any campus is better the moment that there are veterans on it. What can universities do, particularly ours, to make their spaces more welcoming, to take advantage of the fact that we've got veterans on this campus? Well, one thing that the university has already done is make belonging a university value. So that's my favorite one. I have been accused of just liking the one that's first alphabetically the best, and so <laughs> guilty as charged. No, but I think making the community belonging, period, is definitely the most important step. And Women Mary is committed to do it with the new strategic plan, which I love. So, so I think that's part of it. Universities should have a space on campus for military and veterans. We do. We have my office, the Office of Student Veteran Engagement. Coming soon is a similar office in the business school because of a generous donation that we got from an anonymous alumna to establish a veteran to executive transition program that William & Mary vet. So we're moving in the right direction at William & Mary and we're picking up speed and we have a lot of great momentum. So we're very, very grateful for that. Other institutions should have a place on campus and they should have a full-time person who helps student veterans navigate the new normal for them, you know, so all students transition to come to a college campus because there's a period of transition and there's a lot of research on that. So the military transition is you're transitioning out of a culture and community and into college. So that is actually a pretty bumpy ride and it's a great ride too because it's kind of the beginning of the rest of your life. But there's definitely different circumstances, again for my folks who are commuters or for the students who have children. They're just Many of the rules and procedures are designed for residential 18 to 22 year olds. And they're correct to be designed that way because if 99.6% of the students fall into that category, from an efficiency standpoint, things are going great. But there does need to be a full-time person on campus to help the students who are outside of that navigate just things like if they get military orders, then what do you do? And it just lets me be copied on an email or go to a meeting with them or things like that. They just don't feel sometimes targeted by communication or invited to the table. And, and that does actually go away over time after they've been at a place longer. And I think that's actually true of everybody. I mean, people probably remember getting to a new place and getting to the dining hall and saying, well, where do I sit? We want there to eventually be somewhere to sit. And I think that there needs to be somebody on campus who says, sit with me, to actually take on that problem wherever it appears in a really complex environment like a college campus. And you have your green zone training. Yes. So green zone training, I want to give VCU credit because VCU is where the green zone training started. So I actually was at an education fair and I met the director of military services at VCU, Stephen Ross, and I talked to him about it. And I said, you know, I think we can do this at William & Mary. And Jeremy Martin actually challenged us to do it at William & Mary. So Jeremy went and attended a Green Zone training at VCU. And he said, I think we can do it here. And we did. And I want to give credit to Kurt Klingenberger, too, who's a higher education PhD student. He and I tried it out and we were able to do it. And so now we've done Green Zone training, I think, half a dozen times for a couple hundred faculty and staff now. And what it does is it shares military culture by a little PowerPoint, but then we transition to the very best part, which is a panel of student veterans. 
and I go ahead and ask them a few questions and then we open the floor up so faculty and staff can ask whatever questions they have. That has been really enlightening for me. Every time I go, I hear stories that I hadn't heard before. So the students are super forthcoming in those environments. And I think that's because they see arrayed around them people who care about what they experienced and want to know what they're experiencing now at the institution where they work. And so I think those are great. What we're interested in doing now is Green Zones for Departments. Did it for the Cohen Career Center, just a dedicated Green Zone just for them to start this semester, and we were able to do it online. And everybody seemed to really appreciate that and think it went really well. And as you were speaking, I was just thinking, Charlie, you know, there is the dichotomy of, you know, military versus civilian. And there's also a space in between that I think we could bridge. What are some things that would benefit all of us? So maybe we're looking at the military population thinking, yes, that would benefit you. And you know what? If we did that, we would all benefit just by universal design. Any of those things come to mind for you? Right. Well, so you're describing the civilian-military divide. And there's a great book about that called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. I think that's an especially appropriate book for women marrying, <laughs> but so he talks about that and he talks about we're a disconnected society and he wrote it in 2016. I'm sure he has some updates on that, that idea in the year 2020 where we somehow found a way to be even more disconnected and so healing that connection would benefit us all and I don't know how to do that. I wish I did. I do think it's part of uh, welcoming one another and, and everybody belonging. And I also think it's part of what we were talking about trying to convince others to do, which is take care of themselves. So now we're getting into, if we want to talk about like, things that are universally good, I mean, I think what we're talking about is love. So people should love one another and they should love themselves. And if you'll listen, I just told other people to do that, right? Instead of saying, I should love one another, I should love others and I should love myself. So this is the trick of this. But I do think that would make us better connected, more connected, and help heal the military-civilian divide. How do we do that? I think it's probably different for every different pair of people, two people trying to communicate. I can talk a little bit about how we got here with the civil-military divide, and that's because less and less people serve in the military over time since we did away with the draft. So after Vietnam, we said we weren't gonna draft people anymore into the military. It's gonna be all volunteer. So. Um, when we were drafting people, there were more people from different parts of the United States participating in the military. So that meant there was more experience and understanding in different parts of the United States. And it was especially true with World War II because not only did people volunteer in droves, but they also got drafted. And then we also had most ever female participation out of necessity. Lots of really amazing people stepping up and saying, we want to serve our country and there was necessity for even more people beyond that to do it in World War II. So we had a ton of understanding then, then less, but still a draft for Vietnam, and then now we're all volunteer. And so what that means is that a lot of people from the same parts of the country serve in the military, so the military service is concentrated in certain parts, and Virginia is one of those parts. And then it's, it's even concentrated within certain families. And so I end up talking to people about that a lot. And a lot of folks who work at William & Mary have a family member who served in the military. And I think that would be a really interesting number if we could ever find out. We know that there's about 1,500 students who are military affiliated, which means that either they or the parent or guardian served in the military, and that's a lot. So there's a little bit more understanding in Virginia, I think, 
but overall about a percent relative to the U.S. population serves in the military and about 7% have served. So that's a vast minority and I think that's where the, the civil military divide comes in. It's, it's really an understanding divide. Charlie, thank you for your service and for being here and for sharing the story. Well, I will say thank you to you guys. Serving the country was my privilege. I think a lot of people want to serve and then can't, and that's something that I've learned over time. So it was a privilege to me to be able to do that, especially when I was able to do that, which was right after September 11th, when I was sad and confused, and I thought that would be a good thing. It helped me connect with my dad better, who was a Marine in Vietnam. So when I say it was a privilege, I mean it. It was, it was great for me, personally. Because it's the day after Veterans Day, I want to catch anybody who hears this who I didn't see yesterday or wasn't able to email yesterday and say Happy Veterans Day. And then uh, the day before that was the Marine Corps birthday, which is always very special. So happy late birthday to any of the Marines out there, too. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing these stories. And we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. To learn more or connect with the Office of Student Veteran Engagement, visit online at www.wm.edu/osve.